Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. All right, well, good morning, Wildwood. Turn your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 this morning. This is my favorite time of year, even though I don't quite like the snow that fell this morning, but it is my favorite time of year. I love the way that our church decorates. We have some very talented people that gave a lot of their time to make our building, our space look so beautiful and festive and, and Christmassy. I love walking to the, through the malls and, and seeing their decorations and uh, I love the traditions that Pastor Andrew loves as well, setting up the tree on Friday after Thanksgiving uh, and, and all of those things. And yesterday I took my kids to the mall after dinner and, and uh, we got out you know, for the first time over the weekend and, and got into the Quad Cities to see uh, the, the new, the post Thanksgiving, now the Christmas uh, feel and, and vibe. And we were walking through the mall and you got the Christmas carols playing on the uh, speakers and, and you got all the feels, right? And it's, and it's, and it's all of those, all of that nostalgia and uh, the, the feelings of Christmas. And then while I was standing in the, in the, at the women's fitting room while my daughter is trying on some clothes, I get a call from a pastor uh, a fellow pastor friend, he said, man, I just, you have some time. And I said, well, I'm, I'm in the mall shopping. I've got a few minutes, what you got? And he said, man, I just need somebody to lean on right now. And he said, you know, I'm carrying a weight, a, a burden, because Thanksgiving night, I got a call. Uh, one of my people told his wife he was leaving. And so I went over and, and spent several hours, and thankfully, there was a turnaround that evening before he left at midnight. But, you know, just like last week, I, I said something similar last week, where I'm at a wedding, and I take a pastoral call, and I'm, I'm in this joyous moment. Uh, at the wedding last Saturday, last Sunday, I did a vow renewal of 50 years of marriage, and in, in the midst of that joy, there was that pastoral call that this you know, this woman called me and, and, and had a weight and a burden. And here's last night, I'm in the middle of the celebration, in the middle of the all is merry and bright, in the middle of the twinkling lights and all of these things. And I take the call and it reminds me that real life doesn't change because we put up lights. Real life does not change because we sing Christmas carols in place of worship songs. Real life goes on and people are really hurting. And that is the world that Jesus came into. Jesus did not come to us because he thought we were neat. And he wanted to, to, to get to know us and to see how, how our life was going and, and, to, see, and to be part of, of our great thing. No, he came into our mess. I was talking with another uh, young lady this week, and she was describing, you know, her life, and it, it made me sad for her. I mean, guys, you need to know this, that it is a sad, I'm not trying to be a downer, I know it's Christmas, but, but many of you and I are carrying heavy weights. This is the world Jesus came into. We, we, we don't, it doesn't do anybody any good to deny that and to pretend 
that, well, because, because we have Christmas lights on the stage, now all of a sudden, all of everything in our world is peaceful and okay. It's because everything in our world is not peaceful and not okay that we have Christmas. This is why Jesus came. And one of my favorite stories is the incarnation, the prologue of John, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I believe that it captures the heart of the Lord, why he came, what he came to do. So let's read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful that we have this story to tell. And Lord, I'm thankful that even though there is a weight to life, there is a weightiness of of suffering that we endure in this broken world, broken marriages, broken homes, broken health. Lord, we can stand up and sing in joy because the light has come into the darkness. The true light has come into the world that he created and he did so in the most humble way. And Lord, I pray that you would enrapture our hearts with this mystery that the baby in the manger created the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So who are we talking about? Now pretend that you haven't already heard the story. Pretend you haven't already read John. Let's just go through this as if we're reading it afresh for the first time. So who are we talking about? Who is the Word? Who was with God in the beginning? Well, whoever we're talking about here was not only with God, but indeed was God. Whoever this is, we're to understand a few things about him. Not only was he God, he is masculine, he is personal, as opposed to an it, it's not a force, but rather he is masculine and personal. Next, we know that he was in the beginning with God, coexistent, in relationship. Not opposed to God, not apart from God, but with God in every possible 
meaning of the word. He's coexistent in relationship and unique in identity. But there's also a sameness. There's a uniqueness, but there's a sameness. He was God, John said. He was with God and he was God. There's uniqueness and sameness from the beginning. In the Greek, this concept is known as homoousios, meaning of the same substance. He's of the very essence, the same substance as God. He's called the word or the logos. Once again, the Greek concept is, uh, the, the Greek concept of the logos is not simply a word, but rather a complete message. He was the complete revelation of God, the total message. From the early church age to today, people debate the word's nature. Is he a God or is he God? Now, leaving aside the grammatical structure, we can determine that the nature of the word in the next statement. In verse three, it says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, not only do we know that he created all things, the word who was with God and was God created all things, but we also know that he himself was not created. Before anything was created, the word was with God, and the word created all things, and nothing was created that was created. So John states it positively, and he states it negatively. All things were made through him, and not anything that was made was made without him. He is preexistent. He is co-eternal. He is the creator of all things. He's also powerful and effective. God spoke, and all things came into being. Genesis 1.14 says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. The known universe is 93 billion light years in diameter. And scientists speculate that it's infinite. It all came from the mouth of God. It all was because God spoke. And only an infinitely powerful God can create an infinite universe. Verse four, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He was life and light shining in the darkness. Now he was not only light in the darkness of creation, but also the light of the world, illuminating it to the truth of who God is. He, he is the full revelation of God to the world. Now it got me thinking about light. Perhaps what we call light is because of what the word was in the beginning. Perhaps the word is ontological light. 
perhaps what we have that we call light is because the word was light. In the book of Revelation, we're told the new heaven and the new earth will have no need of sun or moon to shine on it. It doesn't say that we'll never have sunrises and sunsets. It doesn't say that we won't have moonbeams. It says there will be no need for the sun or the moon to shine on the new heaven and the new earth. Why? Because the glory of God will light the new heaven and the new earth. And it says that the lamp, in other words, the source of the light in the new heaven and the new earth is the lamb. In Genesis, did you realize this, that there was light before there was sun, moon, and stars? God said, let there be light. And there was light. That's Genesis 1-3. That was day one. The sun and the moon and the stars were created on day four to rule over the light. What we know about light is true because the word is the true light. Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now there's a big distinction here between the word of verses one through five and John. John is named. He was sent from God as a witness about the light, the word. But, but, in, but he was not the word, he was not the light, but instead bore witness to the light so that others would believe. He told the world about the light, which was coming into the world. There was light that shone on the world in the beginning, and now the word of God, which created the light, who in fact was light, was coming into the world as the true light. The word is the true, ultimate revelation of God to the world. And he brought this light to everyone. That is to say, everyone without distinction, not everyone without exception. In the Gospel of John, everyone refers to people of all types, specifically Jews and Gentiles. But not everyone received the true light. In fact, the most tragic theme of John is the rejection of the light. It's found in verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. His presence and his fingertips are, or fingerprints are all over the world. And yet the world did not know him. It gets worse in verse 7. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Do you feel the tragedy of that first 
Christmas. He came into the world and the world did not receive him. He came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. As if it wasn't bad enough that, he cre- that the creation didn't know their creator, even his own people did not receive him, welcome him, believe him. The one who created the world, who was God and was with God in the beginning, they did not receive him. The light of man whose fingerprints are on everything and everyone was rejected by those whom he created. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him. Here's, if you know me, if you've been under my preaching for any length of time, you know that I love the but in the story. My favorite is Ephesians 2, but God. You were dead in sin, but God made you alive in Christ. Here's one of those, those uh, the, whole, the whole story turns on this word, We're heading towards tragedy. His own people did not receive him. The world that he created rejected him. But to all who did receive him. So there's some who did receive him. His own people did not receive him, but some people did receive him. Not everyone rejected him. So there's two types of people described here. Those who did not receive him and those who did receive him. It turns out that the most important characterization or categorization of humanity is those who did receive him and those who did not. Those who tragically did not receive the one who made them and those who did receive him. Two categories of people. In the incarnation, the word gave light to everyone And the light divided man into two categories. Those who did not receive him and those who did. And those who hate the light and love the darkness do as the world does. They flee and they hide so that the light does not expose their corruption. But some receive the light as the true revelation of God. And how did those who did receive him, receive him? John clarifies what he means by all who did receive him. He says, it is those who believed in his name. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. The word, the logos, who was with God in the beginning, who was God, who created all things is received by believing in his name. Those who did not receive him did not believe in his name, but those who did receive him did believe in his name. And those who believe in his name, to those who believe in his name, John continues, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is adoption. That is adoption. Do you see it? You were given the right to become children of God. Those whom he created were not his children, else they would not have needed to become his children. But rather, he gave them the right to become children of God. 
They were given something that they otherwise did not have, namely access to the Father. Here it says the word gave to those who received him by believing in his name the right to become children of God. That is a legal standing. Paul does not, or John does not say that he gave the privilege. He gave the right. He gave the right. You have the legal standing before God to access him as father. Why? Because you have been legally adopted. You have the right to call him father. Why? Because you have believed in his name and you have received the light. What they have is not theirs by birth. Those who receive him, those who believe, was not, what they have is not theirs by birth, at least not by the birth of the blood, nor of the will of man, or the will of the flesh, not a biological birth, and not human exertion, but supernatural birth. What we're talking about here is spiritual rebirth. It's not ours by ancestry. It's not ours by effort. It's ours by the will of God. Now, obviously, everyone who did receive him was born of blood, was born of the will of man, has a natural birth. But what we're talking about here is supernatural birth. What we're talking about here is spiritual rebirth, being born again by the will of God. So who is it? Who is the word? Who made everything that was made? Who was with God in the beginning and who was God from the beginning? Who was the light of life, the true light that shines in the darkness, that came into the world? Who was rejected by his own people but received by those who believed in his name? Discover the answer in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word, the creator of everything without whom nothing was created, the true light, God became flesh. This is supreme revelation in the words of D.A. Carson. The self-expression of God put on flesh, becoming human. He made himself known finally and ultimately in a real historical man, Carson says. He put on flesh and he became a human being. Although he didn't cease to be God, he set aside, he emptied himself of the privilege of part of his divinity and he lived with us. He didn't simply visit us, but rather it says that he dwelt among us. He encamped with us. That word dwelt means to set up a tent, to put down roots, to stay for a while. It harkens back to the time when God dwelt in the tabernacle in Exodus 25.8, a tent in the wilderness. He made this world which he created his home. John now speaks in the first person 
plural, saying, we have seen his glory. The word became flesh. He was visible. He was physical. He was public. We have seen his glory. His glory refers to his person, his manifestation, his presence in the world. Once again, we have an allusion to the tabernacle where the glory of God dwelt among the people. Only then, the people could not see the glory of God. This word made flesh was the visible embodiment of the glory of God on earth. And John says, it is the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He who created everything that was made, the true light, who gives light, excuse me, who gives the right to become children of God by receiving him, by believing in his name. The word is the only son from the father and he is full of grace and truth. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Being the son of God means that Jesus is perfectly like the father in every way. He shares all the same attributes of the Father, including eternality and eternal glory. He was omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, and yet he set these aside, emptying himself of the full privilege of the divine nature for our sake. Paul says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count Equality with God, a thing to be grasped or a thing to be clung to, to hold on to. I want you to imagine the things that you cling to. The privileges, the rights, the opportunities that your position in life affords you and how tenaciously you cling to those things. And now imagine that the creator of the world who dwelt in utter glory did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This Christmas, as we turn our attention to the celebration of the birth of Christ, let me ask you, do you see what I see? This baby in the manger created the world. The creator of the world entered into his own creation in the most humble way in the form of a baby in a manger. The word of God, eternal, preexistent, the true light, the embodiment of the full glory of God dwelt among us in the form of a baby. A baby born to an unwed mother born to an unwed mother in an obscure time. 
in an obscure town to an obscure family and laid in a feed trough among livestock. That is how our God chose to come into the world. The first sound out of the mouth of the word of God was a newborn's cry. I pray that the mystery of this all too familiar story impacts you today and the entire Christmas season. The baby in the manger created the world. What are you going to do with this? How is this going to change your Christmas season? How's it going to change your life? How's it going to change your perspective on life to come? A few things as we close. Number one, God is with us, and he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To receive him is more than intellectual consent. It's more than simply conceding, well, this is true. It's more than not rejecting the story. John clarified what it means to receive him when he says to believe in his name. It means to trust in him as Messiah, as Savior, as Rescuer. It means embracing what he said about himself, his nature, his purpose, his judgment, his salvation, his righteousness, his return. To receive him is to walk in personal relationship with Jesus. It is to echo with John, we have seen his glory, full of grace and truth. It is to put your personal trust in him to save you. Now, if you believe this, how are you proclaiming it? I love that you are the missionary of the month at Wildwood Church. I love that. Our missions committee gets the vision. How are you? So, so many people, I mean, it's Christmas. So many people have their minds at least oriented on this concept that God became a baby. How are you proclaiming that the one who became a baby, the baby in the manger, created the world? And he grew up to be a man, and he died for your sin, and he rose again, and he's coming back. And he dwells in glory as the righteous king. If you believe this, how are you proclaiming it? And if you don't believe it, why not? Why not? John said, we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. What John saw was not the birth of Jesus, but the resurrection. And John was willing to give his life to defend what he saw with his very eyes. 
It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that puts this baby in a whole other category. (laughs) Jesus did that too. There's glory in that moment just there, right? He came for you. He came for you. And he had the right to come any way he wanted to. This glorious, magnificent creator God could have come in the form of a king. And he could have said, Submit or die. Instead, he offers an invitation and he dies for you. And he rose again to give you eternal life. Number two, Jesus is the true light that came into the world. John 8, 12 said, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, there are all sorts of artificial lights in the world. And Jesus told us that broad is the path that leads to destruction. He told us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. I think about all of the many ways that our society is caught up in artificial light, thinking that they are spiritual. I think about mysticism and Gnosticism, Eastern religions, the occult, all of these things that, that proclaim to enlighten someone. And Jesus says, unless you're following me, you're walking in darkness. You may think you're enlightened, but if you're not following Jesus, you're on the path to destruction. As I said before, the resurrection, not just the birth, is all the proof that you need to know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he is, in fact, the true light that has come to the world. Number three, Christmas is a celebration that God is with us. Matthew one twenty says, Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Colossians 1.19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God is with us. Jesus is the embodiment of the ministry of presence. Like I said before, had the Lord desired to do this, he could have dealt with us in any way that he wanted to, including from afar. There's nothing even that required that he come to his people. He could have dealt with us from afar, but because he loves us, he dwelt with us up close. 
He entered into the human experience. He entered into the world in which a little girl is sad because her mom doesn't want to talk to her, doesn't want to have anything to do with her. He entered into a world in which a man texts his wife on Thanksgiving evening, I'm leaving you for another woman. He entered into that world and he dwelt among us. As you consider the Christmas season, as you think about what this is all about, how you're going to express your festive emotions, how you're going to experience Christmas, how can you engage in the ministry of presence and bring Jesus close to those who are far? Fourth and finally, the birth was always about the cross and the resurrection. And Jesus did not come with aspirations of setting up a, 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 an eternal kingdom here on the earth. As much as his disciples desired that, Jesus was not, was not sidetracked. He wasn't uh, blindsided by what happened to him. The birth was always about the cross and the resurrection. He came here to die. He came here, he was born in order that you might be born again. As we turn now to communion, I invite you to ask the Lord to give you a fresh vision of the incarnation of the word of God this Christmas season. Ask him to help you see it anew, to see it with fresh eyes. Read the Christmas story, read the narratives as if you've never read them before, as if it's not normal to you that the creator God became the baby in the manger and to rejoice in it with a renewed hope and a missionary zeal. Do you see what I see? This baby in the manger created the world. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, the word made flesh, the true light that came into the world, who entered into our experience, who became like us, suffered with us, and died for us. Lord, to all those who received him, who believed in his name, you gave the right to become children of God. So we come before you as your children. We call you Father. And we worship you. And our hearts are full of joy and gratitude. Because even though this is a hard experience, we know, Lord, that, that you have rescued us. And you're coming soon. And you'll take us to be with you in a real place called heaven forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online, live and on demand. If you haven't done so already, 
Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I want to encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.